and welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined by Claire. Welcome back. Hello. Yes, Lee is still, um, we'll say, tech unavail. <laughs> um, What's that mean? Technically unavailable. Oh. <laughs> um, but uh, we are hoping that uh, she'll make a triumphant return with us again next week. Uh, but yes, yeah, so in the meantime, we have uh, got... Filling her, uh, capably filling her shoes, we have the wonderful Claire joining us. Yeah. We've got different size shoes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but how have you been? Oh, you know. Nothing. 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 Have you watched, read, listened to anything of interest of late? Oh, good question. Because you're going to say, well, movies. Oh, no. But, well, that's why, that's why I'm broadening recently? it. That's why I'm broadening yeah. it to like, have you listened to anything interesting? Read anything interesting? Um, just lots of lots of true crime stuff, but nothing that comes to mind as like being incredibly exciting. Nothing sort of recommend worthy. No. Yeah. Um, if you want a recommendation of Drag Race season two of España, which is the Spanish one, that's pretty good. All right, you've been enjoying that. Yeah, it's over now. Ah, fair enough. No spoilers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, myself, um, I've, I've, as usual, watched a couple of interesting things. Surprise. Uh, surprise. Um, I I, man- I got an invitation and was able to go to the Melbourne premiere of uh, Jurassic World Dominion. I said, eh, it's a school night. <laughs> yeah, you did not come as my plus one to that. Um <laughs> Yeah, it is one where, I mean, as listeners are probably aware, that film is getting absolutely raked across the coals and people are hating it and things. Um, I went in with the mindset of knowing exactly what I was in for. Um, I had never actually seen Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, so I watched that the night before. Holy shit, is that a bad movie? Um, <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, this is just... And so it can't get better. No, especially or... especially with the return of Colin Trevorrow as the director. So you're like, all right, let's let's do this. Um, free popcorn. Free popcorn, open bar. Um, why not? It was... Didn't have to pay to see Jurassic World to me. But I think a lot of people have. Yes. In the last week. Well, where they... I feel really bad, especially for little kids, because they're going to be going in, especially where the last film left off, where it's just like, guys, dinosaurs are loose in the world. Uh, the trailer makes it seem like we got to fucking wrangle these guys up on horseback. There are raptors running around what looks like Rome, but is actually Malta. And you're like, oh, this is going to be... <laughs> Fucking gnarly. Yes, yes, let's go. Oh, it's actually mostly about locusts. Why? I mean, that's the question. <laughs> it's, it's mostly about... Is it a pandemic allegory? No, it is a, the company called... I think they're called like Biosyn. Uh, like Sin with a Y. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, yeah. Okay. Um, but here's, uh, here's the genius of Colin Trevorrow stuff. They're creating biological sins, though. What? Yeah, they've created giant... Spoilers, by the way. Spoilers. No, I mean, this, I mean, I guess it's in the first 20 minutes of the movie. Okay. No, it's it's in, like, the first 10 minutes of the movie. Well, it's like I'm the really sorry if you've just had Jurassic Park. What's it called? Jurassic Park? Dominion. Dominion. No, like I said, you? don't worry. It's not about dinosaurs. It's about giant football-sized Cretaceous locusts 
that are wiping out crops. And then there's also like corporate espionage and a kidnapping plot in there and some dinosaurs occasionally in the background. And Jeff Goldblum takes it, unbuttons his shirt and he's like, no, nah, I'm too How much do you reckon the lettuces would cost? <laughs> well, I, yeah, it's, it's just, it is one where I, okay, my, it's not a recommendation on Dominion, but it is a, if you want to have, I laughed a lot and I kind of felt bad because I'm like that guy in the cinema who's laughing at how Things bad, that you shouldn't be how bad a movie is. Um, so, you know, if you go in with that mindset, it is a solid two star. <laughs> um, but uh, two other recommendations I'll just quickly give. Um, I watched Hustle, the new Adam Sandler movie. Oh. on Netflix, and uh, that is a thoroughly entertaining and enjoyable adult drama. Like, uh, it, it's... An adult drama. Yeah, it, it, it's a movie, like, I started watching it thinking it's going to be, like, you know, a PG, PG-13, but it's like, oh, no, there's a lot of swearing and a lot of adult-based stuff, so it's like, oh, no, this is, like, a adult drama, that the kind of movie that you don't really see get made that often these days, and um, it, it's nice to see Adam Sandler... Doing something other than the hajabayayu. <laughs> so, it, it was, I, I recommend if you're looking for a nice kind of non-offensive movie to watch. And if you're looking for an of, offensive what, Offensive movie. No, I, I didn't find it offensive, but some oh. people could get very upset. Like, with some of the visuals and stuff in it. Uh, Alex Garland's Men. Uh, that movie Ooh. was great. Um, I've been Chris on, told me the plot and I was just like... But why, I get, why did you tell me about this? Well, I, I came oh, back I from upset. the cinema and said, like, this is a film you should never watch, um, just based on how much you hate horror and horror imagery. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, I would say, probably Alex Garland's, like, first straight horror movie since maybe 28 Days Later. Yeah. By horror imagery, like, for example... Pan's Labyrinth did me in the guy with the eyes on the hands. Oh my god, that is the my big, yeah, that is one of my biggest nightmares. So that's what Chris is talking about when he's talking about the horror imagery specifically. Yet somehow last year in the pandemic, I got you to sit down and watch John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, but I don't think that there's the imagery involved. Are you kidding? Like the there's defibrillator not? ripping the guy's chest open and then like tearing well, his arms. I, I hid under a blanket for <laughs> that, that. That's a gnarly movie. Um, the severed head sprouting spider legs and walking away. Blank. <laughs> you just have PTSD from it. I can blank things mm. out sometimes, but not that guy with the hands for eyes. Yeah. Um, hands. But yeah, like I, I'm on the record as not being the biggest fan of Alex Garland's work. Like I, for the longest time I've said he is really great at doing the first two acts of something. And then he kind of doesn't know how to stick the landing. I mean, this oh, is, is this the guy that does the um, what's it called? Like twenty eight? No, Machina ex Machina. Yeah, yeah, that's what. Yeah, you always say that about that guy. See, yeah. look, I can make a yeah. connection. Uh, similar with like Sunshine, Twenty Eight Days Later. I oh, yeah. feel, yeah. Um, you know, he has had some really great stuff. Like Never Let Me Go, I think is absolutely fantastic. The Alex Garland, Kira Knightley, Carrie Mulligan movie. Um, but this and Annihilation, it was the thing with his directing, his directorial films, not just ones he's written. Ex Machina is fine. Like I'm, I know a lot of people love that film and that's cool. I'm not one of them. <laughs> um, I liked it. it. It's, it's fine. Um, and then Annihilation, I'm like, okay, I like this a little bit more. And so it was like seeing him grow. He's getting like, He's, it's kind of I'm I'm enjoying his films more as he's kind of growing and getting older and more experienced as a filmmaker 
And I would happily say this is, I've enjoyed this one the most out of any film that he's directed so far. Okay. Um, that being said, it is 100% going to be the most divisive. Um, it is for like, yeah, the, it's a thin audience to really enjoy this one, I think. Um, but I, I found it uh, very interesting in this, it's non-spoilers. I'll say it was again a kind of, you know, his whole thing with endings. It was a kind of predictable ending in, in like where it eventually ends up. But the road we took to get there, especially in the last 20 minutes, is one of the most interesting things I've seen in, at, uh, on a cinema screen for a while. I'll say that. Hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, something that I did not find all that interesting is this week's film. Oh. <laughs> Baudu Saved from Drowning. By, uh, directed by Jean Renoir from 1932. Michael Simon gives one of the most memorable performances in screen history as Baudou. Really? <laughs> Ooh, sorry. A, a Parisian Can't... tramp who takes a suicidal plunge into the Seine and is rescued by a well-to-do bookseller, Edouard Let... Let... I always fuck up this one. He can't say it either. Letengois, uh, played by Charles... Granval, uh, the Lettenguar family decide to take in the irrepressible bum, and he shows his gratitude by shaking the household to its foundations. With Baudusse from Drowning, legendary director Jean Renoir takes advantage of a host of Parisian locations and an anarchic charm and the anarchic charms of his lead actor to create an effervescent satire of the bourgeois. Claire, you're shaking your head. What? is your initial thoughts on Baudu, Save from Drowning. Um, all of that comment on charm and effervescent or whatever. Oof. I mean, anarchic charm? No, no charm. Okay. Yeah, this is one, uh, um, it's had, I've known about this film for a very long time. It has an extremely striking Criterion cover. And um, a weird title. Weird, no, I mean, yeah. I mean... Uh, is there a comma? Is there a No, it's just hyphen? Baudu Save from Drowning. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, there are weirder titles out yeah. there, I would, I would say. But striking imagery and genre noir, I've, and the fact that this one has well... I believe it had previously been in some sight and sound top 100 films. I know it's definitely in the 1001 Movies to See Before You Die list. Um, so it's one that I had kind of been across my radar... For years, and I like knew of it, but did not know that, that it was this type of film. What year is it again? Nineteen thirty-two. Thirty-two. Yep. It, it, I think for its time, it was obviously trialing a lot of different things when it came to camera angles, perspectives, those sorts of things. I, I honestly, I mean, on on a simply base level, I would say. A lot of the initial charm for this film is that it very much encapsulates and takes a snapshot of a very specific type of Paris and mm -hmm. a time and place. It, and you could st time and place, but you could still tell that this is Paris without ever saying specifically that it is Paris. Yeah, I knew it was Paris. Yeah, of course. And From, but but at the same yeah. time, it, it's he's lovingly yeah. photographing the outdoor imagery of Paris at the time. And I yeah. think that is something that... Nostalgia. Nostalgia people. kind of elements, I guess. But 
Yeah, this it it's this was not necessarily what I was expecting. I knew that it was going to be a comedy. Um, I was expecting something like I'd seen it build before as a comedy of manners. Um, so I'm like, great, that'll be fun. Like I love some of those. Like you get you know mm-hmm. old classic versions, like you know Chaplin, uh, Marx Brothers, Three Stooges. Uh, That's I mean, exactly H- what... Hulot, uh, the Jacques Tati stuff, and then more modern stuff like Mr. Bean. Like ah, they're gonna rescue this tramp, and he's gonna be uh, wacky hijinks are gonna ensue. Yeah. People and, that don't understand what they're meant to do in life. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. gonna be a sweet kind of fun satire and i mean renoir is very known for his upstairs downstairs films and ones with comedic slants and things i mean in particular rules of the game um which i've revisited a couple of times now since we did our episode on it and i think is an absolutely fantastic film um this it i did not enjoy (laughs) to put it bluntly um it's it's a tough sit um, the setup and everything that leads up to Bordeaux entering uh, the the book sh- the bookshop and uh, all the rest of our characters' lives it's an interesting setup and it's interesting setting interesting characters and then he enters like I mean to use like a Looney Tunes example like he enters like a Tasmanian devil and just destroys everything mm. and not in a fun comedic way no it's really aggressive and i mean you could kind of call it mean-spirited yeah i i'm like i want speaking of time and place i want to go back to like is that what was considered funny in 1932 in paris because like i i could not get my head you know i can watch all a lot of other old much older comedies and still have a wonderful time yeah um, um i mean spoiling a little bit of the trivia i've got later um yeah. french audiences were outraged by Baudou's anti-social behavior to the extent that police had to be called to several theaters to restore order oh. in some areas the film was immediately pulled because of its polarizing effect well yeah it's and it's not just him, it's all of them. Like, none of them, there's no one that has anything that seems to be redeeming. I mean, and that's, oh. I, I mean, that's, but that's where it gets interesting, where you assume what is going to happen is you have these characters, um, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Lengua, uh, you have the maid, uh, Marianne, um, you know, sorry, the housekeeper and things. And, you know, they are. <sighs> All at a bit of a crossroads in the sense of their, they could have, they might have been nice people at one point, but they kind of either it's through mm. that stuck in that kind of bourgeois cycle, um, that kind of stuck in that class that they are in, and their routine, and they've just become kind of stagnant people, and it's the assumption that enter a outside force uh, in the form of Bordeaux, he's going to come in, shake things up for the better improve these people's lives, show them what really matters in life, and then, you know, don his cap again and whistle off down the road having, you know, influenced people's lives onto his next adventure. That's that's the baseline, like, very simplistic story that you kind of would assume yeah. this might end up going in. But instead, he comes in, um, we're, like, presented with these characters that, like you said, are not necessarily nice people. 
to begin with, or at least they're putting on the airs of niceties. Yes, um, a lot of airs of niceties. So I understand that they're, it's that social commentary, but I don't know. I just couldn't hmm. connect. And and you have Baudu come in and just be like, I'm going to set the bar so low for how a person can act. And instead of you guys kind of learning from example or something, it, you're just kind of going to double down on your stuff. And yeah, it's, you're going to almost become shittier because of it. Yeah, it, it's it's a really so instead weird... Instead of being like, oh, you could learn something from me. Yeah. But it, is that meant to be the comedy and we just didn't get it? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I guess it is. It is it is that thing of like when it's like, oh, Bodu, go and shine. You, you can't go outside. Your shoes aren't shined. And he goes and he just fucking destroys the kitchen and then like and then the bedroom but then like on his way to the bedroom to wipe his hands on the bed his like shoe polished hands on the bed sheets he's like wiping them on the walls doing handstands on the like purposely destroying the house and it is i wonder if the comedy comes from a like i will say right off the bat any complaint i have with this film and in particular the character of bordu it's only because michael simon plays it so well like, it is n- a no slight against his performance. I think it is a really great performance of a really despicable person. <laughs> and the the reason I dislike him so much is because he did his job so well. <laughs> um, but it it's... I forget where I was going with that, with just the... Um, uh, with that little aside there on Michael Simon. Um, he was going to the bedroom. No. No, lost Can't it. Um, but yeah, it, it's... He... You know, oh, sorry, yes, that's it. It's, it's, the, is the comedy supposed to come from his physical acting? Like the fact of, oh, isn't it funny? Like when he was like, um, feet up in the door for it. Yeah. Uh, or like, I'm, I'm specifically like that, uh, going back to the shoe polish scene. Yeah. Like, is it the comedy supposed to come from, oh, look at how ridiculous and how, you know, he's, how he's playing this idea of, mm-hmm. you know. He's taking our houses and making a fool out of them. Which is the other, the other aspect of where does the comedy come from. It's like, A, his mannerisms and his characterizations are innately funny. And then he, look at him, he's taken the rich down a peg or two. Is that mm. is that where the comedy is really coming from as well? Like that we just don't understand in that way. I guess, like... Mm. I mean, what's well, one like I get that this is doing this is being a social satire and it is skewering the 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 bourgeois by having someone come in and disrupt their horrible like their per, like air quotes perfect lives. But me but at the same time Renoir being the filmmaker he is, he's he's doing that in the first shots of them alone by establishing this is what it's like to live a bourgeois life as presented by Renoir. You're like, well, that's these guys, these people suck. Mm. Like he's done the satire on like, these are bad people already. And then is the intent, like we have the comedy of errors coming in and we're going to take these people down several pegs, I guess. Yeah, maybe. You know what I did have though, when I was watching all of a sudden I was like, what if almost everything that was happening was happening, but it was a Coen Brothers movie instead? Well, that, ooh, I mean. Mm, because, like, 
I don't know exactly what makes their movies more palatable when their characters can be just as horrible, horrible as, yeah. and also just as making things much worse for everyone around them and everyone getting themselves to be shittier in the process. Yeah. Like, like, same sort of idea. Yeah, like that's all Fargo yeah. is, yeah. with it, with the exception of Marge. But it's just so <laughs> much more charming in other ways. Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the sort of what Paul Mazursky is attempting to do in the remake, which we'll kind of get into a little bit later on in the episode. But I just on this note of the the kind of anarchic, chaotic fool character mm-hmm. um there's i've been reading do, doing some research this morning and uh richard boston wrote a um, bfi film classics uh study on bordeaux and he has said um uh these agents of chaos act out as secret desires if we see a big bum we might want to kick it Chaplin does kick it. Laurel and Hardy, the Marx Brothers, Baudou and Hulot are all enemies of conformity of what can be regulated. They are the awkward squad. The awkward squad. The this is my problem. It's like that is okay. I understand the reading he he's taking from it, but my in particular, like Laurel and Hardy, Marx Brothers, and it, like definitely Hulot, it's not really with malice that they are agents of chaos. Chaplin as well. Like it, it's, it's not mean spirited. I mean, the yeah. Marx brothers, I mean, you know, they do um, play pranks on each play, other and also are like monsters to, um, oh, what's her name? Marguerite Moreau. Uh, no, not Marguerite Moreau, but um, you listeners know who I'm talking about. The, the old lady who's in all of their movies. It's Margaret Dumont. Sorry, this is uh, future Chris yelling at past Chris while editing this episode. Um, yeah, the person I'm talking about, the wonderful actress, is Margaret Dumont. Um, but Baudou comes in and he, 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 it's mean. It's very mean-spirited. He's not doing it, like, in the sense of, like, a Bugs Bunny, where it's like, ain't I a stinker? It's, mm. he just, he's almost like, um, uh... Not narcissism, but, um, oh God, um, nihilism kind of manifested. Yeah. The, the idea of like, nothing matters. I was about to kill myself anyway. Like nothing matters. So fuck it. He's the Joker. I want to watch the world burn. (laughs) Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I had real trouble with the character. I couldn't get into anything. Yeah. And I mean, we've really haven't addressed the plot, no, I guess, no. beyond the <laughs> the initial synopsis. So, as we've established, there's the the Lettenguer family. Um, you know, they say middle class, but they're upper middle class at best. I mean, sorry, at, at worst, I would say. Um, yeah. they're, uh, they're well off. Yeah, they're very well off in things, and we're introduced uh, with uh, Monsieur Lettenguer uh, having uh. Romantic interludes, shall we say, with uh, Anne Marie, the the housekeeper. He and his wife are kind of at odds again, and you know, yeah. um, and then while observing through his telescope, watching people out on the street, um, he notices Baudou jump into the Seine. He, being the idea of a noble person, like runs in, jumps in, saves Baudou, brings him into the house. And then takes responsibility for this man. And in the process, 
discovers that this man is a horribly rude, disgusting human being. And does some really weird version of not CPR, but some kind of recovery breathing. Where oh, just yeah, like it's great. The, the pumping of the arms. Pumping arms back yeah, and forth. Yeah, it was very I'm simulating weird. simulating breathing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, science. Yeah. It's... What, and it, it's kind of interesting at that point. Like, on, at this point, I'm still on board. The idea that he's a horrible kind of lout. You're just like, oh, mm-hmm. this is this is fine. Like, you know, the fact that he's yeah. a bit rude and, and doesn't have And of course he's not going to be grateful. He was just trying to kill himself. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. like eating the bread and the sardines and just yeah. like, mur, mur. you're just like, oh, this is kind of fun yeah. still. But then when he lingers around and he's just actively trying to bug everyone like he's spitting on the floor yeah you can vi- vi- viscerally smell him yeah through and, the screen and it, it mm-hmm. like i think as well like part of the reason i just really just it's it's hard to bring a character make a character someone you're supposed to find lovable when they sexually assault someone mm-hmm. like at, at a certain point he ends up raping mrs letengoire um, it's but really. She liked it, so it's okay. Yeah, it's it's a that's the part. People can't where, see my face right now, yeah. but it's upset. It's it's rough. It's and it's you know again time and place, obviously all mm-hmm. of that stuff. But it watching it in twenty twenty two, it makes it very hard mm-hmm. to still view. and the problem is the film as well. Yeah. When the scene happens, it plays like marching band, like dun, 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 dun. like isn't this funny that this is happening and it's really yeah. kind of it, it's a bit it's a bit tough <laughs> yeah. um and then uh, you know from there Bordeaux ends up winning a hundred thousand francs uh, on a lottery ticket that was given to him by mr Lenguay out of generosity and then he ends up m- marrying Anne marie but then the boat tips over at the wedding and he pretends to drown so he can float off and live life as a bum once again yeah I looked up what 100,000 francs in 1932. It's about $800,000 US today. Yeah. And really weird, the um, bookkeeper, I've forgotten his name again. Lengua. Lengua. Um, at the end, like he's like consoling Anne-Marie and his wife at the same time. Like, oh, it's okay. He's gone off to be a bum again. It's fine. Like, so he got what he wanted and now he has both his women. Oh, I don't know. I didn't like that. <laughs> It was like, mm. yeah, looks like he'd gone into a thruple situation. <laughs> well, which he kind of already was in when we met him. Oh, no offence to anyone that wants to live with a thruple. That's fine. Just... Mm. Claire's not shaming any polyamorous no. out there. Um, but what I find interesting, like some interesting reads on this film, um, uh, I read Christopher Faulkner's essay that comes with the Criterion Edition just to try and see what it gives context to and a lot of it is sort of as i was saying a praising the idea of a snapshot of a type you know place and time in france um as did pauline kale's review she said not only a lovely lovely fable about a bourgeois attempt to reform an early hippie but a photographic record of an earlier france so an it early is, hippie i there's a lot of people that really disagree with that read yeah <laughs> um mm. but pauline kale, kale was her own her own thing. She, she, she lived by her own set of rules and, and was amazing because of it. Um, but yeah, Faulkner brings up the idea. There's some interesting stuff in his essay that I kind of want to address with you. Like the idea of where we're introduced to Baudou through Letengois' eyes. Like when, when those two first meet, it's 
him looking through his telescope out at people on the street and he's for the most part of observing women mm-hmm. and like looking at women's legs and things and butts yeah and and judging and and we as the audience infer from that he's looking at things that he can't that he wants and then he st- and that he can't have and he then stumbles upon Bordeaux. and it is that then implanting the idea and why uh, Monsieur Leningrad, uh, Leningrad, uh, sort of, not Leningrad, <laughs> that was a weird Freudian slip, uh, where Monsieur uh, Leningrad kind of attaches onto Bordeaux and brings him into the house and stuff? Is it because he he's, when he first meets him, he's viewing him in the same prism of that's something that's unattainable for me, that that type of life that that freedom that that man is possessing that's something that i want and no longer have because i'm stuck in this stuffy bourgeois middle class doldrum which is why i'm sleeping with my housekeeper this is why i ran and jumped in to save this man as to bring a bit little bit of excitement into my life oh yeah so looking to mix things up yeah yeah i thought it was a bit more like but like i feel like your answer is more right but i was thinking it was like in the what was it 18th century, 19th century, when, like, people in Britain would, like, pay homeless people to sleep in a little folly out, out in their mm. grounds, very rich people. Mm. Yeah, same, like, I can own this, I can have this difference, something See, unique and weird. And I, I didn't, I don't think no? he ever views him as a possession, like, it's always that he's he's a person, but it's... It is that thing of that's why I'm wondering if is it that attempt of that's that man embodies a life that I am the pol- that's the live. yeah it's the polar opposite of what I have so by allowing him into our lives it'll give me that little bit of a glimpse as, as to what that is yep and then through the process of letting him into his life he realizes nope fuck that I don't want any bit of that mm-hmm. yeah which which is like that's. That's something, like, makes you kind of intrigued by it or kind of latch onto it a little bit. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah, I like, I'm just like, eh. I still didn't, sometimes when you don't enjoy a movie, you just don't enjoy a movie. Yeah. Well, that, okay, I should mention as well that this film uh, was based off of a play. Oh. As well, and uh, basically, what when Renoir was adapting the play, he really made it his own. Um, for the most part, the play is concentrating on Mister Monsieur Lettingois. Uh, uh, he is our protagonist, and whereas in this film, it's very much shifting, and Bordeaux is the emphasis and the main driving force of the film. Um, and I believe he uh, completely changed the ending and only really used the beginning of the first two acts to kind okay. of really sculpt it into his own thing. And uh, from what I've read, the original play is very much leaning on the... It's a morality play. Mm -hmm. It is that thing about what makes a man good, like saving a man's life and like the haves and the have-nots and upstairs, downstairs kind of lifestyle of bourgeois versus bomb, like Mm -hmm. all of that. Whereas Renoir wanted to shift it more into a social satire and a more kind of comedic slant. Whether or not it's... I think by doing that, he makes something that is... Like, the original play does not sound that interesting to me. It sounds a little bit like... like kind of closer to what I was saying at the beginning. Sounds dry. A little bit dry and kind of stale. 
And but that being said, it's so is it what Renoir has done and changed? Does that make it? Yeah. I think it, it it's still it's not. It's the opposite of dry and stale. It's not fresh. <laughs> it's not, well, I mean, it, well, that's the thing. Is it, mm. is it actually a fresh take on this idea? I mean, putting aside the fact that neither of us enjoyed watching yeah. this, like, is it? I think our, I haven't our seen something judging like that something before. as fresh from ninety years ago is harder. Yeah. It, well, let's okay. Well, at this point, let's let's shift in. Let's shift gears a little bit. Then mm-hmm. um, was I was back and forthing a little bit with one of our listeners, um, and he said that he was uh, very much not going to revisit Budu Save from Drowning. Good choices. Uh, um, and instead, uh, recommended checking out and rewatching the remake of this, which I had no idea that Paul Mazursky's nineteen eighty six film Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Starring Richard Dreyfuss, Bette Midler, and Nick Nolte is a remake of this film, and I watched it last night after watching Bodu Save from Drowning, and it is definitely a better film, yeah. <laughs> in my I, opinion. And I watched some of it, and I agree it was a better film in many ways, but at the same time, I just had enough of people being shitty and walked away. Yeah, and I think what makes uh, Mazursky's version more interesting is. It is essentially the version that I was pitching at the beginning where it is people who are kind of stagnant in mm-hmm. their lives have this, you know. Stagnant even though they've got so much. Yes. They have this person come into their lives who manipulates them and then changes their lives and basically forces them through their actions to take a look at themselves and make positive changes. Mm-hmm. It is, it's kind of that like, you know, the saviour comes in and then like, you know, puts yeah. on his like I said, puts the on his hat. Savior in disguise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you picked it early. You're like he's a chronic liar. Um, everything he's saying is a lie, but it's mm-hmm. he's manipulating them, but not not like what how Bordeaux does, where it's he's yeah. manipulating them and lying to them and f- just to, for the sake of fucking with them, mm-hmm. being and a pure spitting, and be, spitting on everything. Yeah, just being because. a pure agent of chaos. Yeah. Whereas Nick Nolte's character in the remake. He's doing all this for a greater good of trying to eventually teach, like, these people learn a lesson yeah. at the end. And they they are better people having encountered this man. And it's it makes it a wholly more kind of, I mean, while I will say Hollywood and I guess, you know, more accessible version of this story, it's also more satisfying. Mm-hmm. More palatable. Yeah. Because, because it just felt like there was more purpose behind it than what what we weren't laughing at but what was made just for for laughs yeah like with with the remake it's jerry i believe is nick nolte's character's name he comes in like i've said he affects all these people's lives sometimes like he does some shitty things but -hmm. at the same time at the end of the film it's all for you know that growth and that character change that's needed by all of these characters um with all the actions that bordeaux does no one is better off no. after he's come into their lives and he is just anarchy for the sake of anarchy. The only way and I can see it changing, mm. imagine if what he'd actually done is gotten that money, married Anne-Marie, left her with the money so that she could leave and not have to be under her boss's horny thumb anymore. Yeah, see, that would have at least that been... That would make it that all the difference and I'd just be like, okay, well, that's an ending I can get behind. Now yeah, I can it's, agree with this. 
Yeah. And I will say, like, the film is a brisk sort of, I think it's 87 minutes or 80, uh, 84 minutes. By at the end, when the credits start to roll, I, I don't perceive any change in any character. Everyone is, except for the fact that some are slightly richer or some have been raped, um, there's, there's very little change that has happened, especially in Bordeaux, like in terms of his outlook on life, his attitudes, and anything really. He is the same horrible person he is at the beginning of the film as he is at the end and seems to have not a single care of the impact he's had on other people. And because of that, it makes it a really tough sit, I think. Yeah. Compared to the 80s version. Yeah. Like, I mean, okay, well. And, and not to mention the fact that it's just lovely to see Nick Nolte. I, I'm a big Nick Nolte fan. Um, mm-hmm. You don't see him much these days. Um, and it's, I particularly love seeing an 80s Nick Nolte um, before he sounds like he ate a building um, with his <laughs> gruff and gravelly voice. <laughs> you know, we'll say a pre-Hulk Nick Nolte. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it, it, so my recommendation, like, look, I, I'm hit and miss with Renoir. Some of his films I adore, like Rules of the Game and Grand Illusion. Some I do not. Like when we did the uh, box set of his, like, you know, French Can Can and things, I just did not. I do not like those movies. So I do not like them, Sam. I am. No, I do not. I do not like them. He was there. <laughs> I do not like them on a DVD or Blu-ray. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, you know, for the sake of film history and the fact that this one is regarded very highly by people, audiences, and film scholars, it's worth a look. But I would say, don't. Go in like I did with the, and this could be the thing. I went in with the expectations of you. You told me it was comedic, a comedy. Yeah, broad comedic satire. Like I was expecting, like a Hulot or a Marx Brothers or like a comedy of manners. But it's he's a prick. <laughs> Just go in with that, I guess. Yeah, maybe if you went in with that, you'd be like, oh yeah, loving everything he's doing. Yeah, he's and being it, a dick. And I think that kind of that shock to the system for us of not. Expect like not expecting him to be so mean, and it to be such a kind of angry, mean spirited film. Um, I think if we had been kind of prepared for that, we might it might have been a little bit easier to kind of focus on what is it kind of overall doing and saying, and what's it's what's the message that Renoir is going for. Um, uh, you know, it's like, not like we were um, Parisian. Um, viewers in the 1930s. We no. weren't having a rampage. The police didn't have to come calm us down. We were just... Like, Meh. oh, I'm not enjoying this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, so I'd recommend as well, like, hey, if for nothing else, give it a look and then revisit Paul Mazursky's 1986 version. Super fun. I, I, had a, I had a more enjoyable time watching that one. I mean, shit, any movie that opens and closes with Once in a Lifetime by Talking Heads, tick of approval in my book. <laughs> But, Claire, do you want to hear a little bit of trivia about this one? Yes, please. Um, So the poet on the bench at the beginning is Jacques Becker, who uh, I pointed out when we were watching is the assistant director for the film. Uh, He would later go on to become a director in his own rights, uh, doing Cask Door, among other famous movies. Uh, the film was so scandalized. The film so scandalized New York Times critic Bosley Crowther when it opened in the in the United States in 1986 that he walked out of the screening. 
So it seems like there is there's a, quite a few people okay, that kind so of fall in line with our read on it. Yeah. Um, on that note as well, the film was not released in US cinemas until 1967. Okay. Um, and not released in the UK until 1965. Uh, I'd mentioned that it uh, is in uh, the Thousand One Movies You Must See Before You Die. Uh, the film has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm guessing because critics that walked out didn't write a review on it. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're not, not allowed to if they walk out. Mm. And, I mean, it's been a while since I've had some really trivial trivia. Would you like some? Oh, yes, please. Uh, this it. film inspired an episode of The Flintstones. Uh, from season two, the movie, uh, the episode is called The Flintstones. This is your lifesaver. Uh, it was about a con man who Fred saves from drowning and then wreaks havoc on the Flintstone household. Oh, <laughs> I really want to watch that. See, I wanna, yeah, I want to watch the Flintstone version rather than the Renoir yeah. version, which is pretty bad. Which is sad, but yeah. true. Like, that's the thing. Like, I've done nothing but kind of shit on this movie, and I don't mean to. It's just when you... You have such a negative reaction to something, I guess. Like, you just can't help but... Like, there are some really interesting elements. Like like I said, Michael Simon's performance, I think, is fantastic. There's some really interesting shots and filmic techniques that Renoir is kind of... You know, this is fairly early in his mm-hmm. career, so he's kind of really... You can see kind of these Rosetta Stone moments that are going to come back, repeat motives later... Motifs, sorry, later in his film career. Like, there's some real... There's some positives in there. It's just all housed within a very mean-spirited, I think is going to be my word, to, my, my, you know, adjective to go back to. Yeah. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to add? No. I'm sorry I made you watch such no, a real okay. tough I'm one. I'm sorry that I had to come in and be like, I'm a bummer, I've got nothing to say because mm. I was bored. Uh, do you have a tagline for this one, though? Um, sort of. Sort of. All right. Well, I'll. Do you want me to do mine, or do you want to? I'll go first. Bordeaux saved from boredom. <laughs> okay, I like it. That's it. Um, mine was one man's trash is another man's burden. Ooh, that's. See, I'm implying that Bordeaux is trash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I like that. That's yeah. Much cleverer. But yes, uh, apologies, I guess, you know, if listeners really Sorry thoroughly... if you in- like it. Yeah, if, if you really enjoy this film, please, I would love to hear from you and, like, love to hear what it is and why you connect with it. Not, ne- like, not in a negative way. I mean, that, that came <laughs> I mean, across- like, ooh, why do you connect no, with it? No, <laughs> I'm genuinely... F- whenever there's something that I don't connect with, I'm really fascinated with why other people do connect with it. And I, I want to hear, in, in the hope that that might make me... Better at Re- yeah, analysing. Be- and- uh, better understand what what it was I didn't enjoy about it or it might even make me understand and like the film better and I would be all for that. So if you're a fan of this one, please write in and let us know what you think. Um, you can do that by sending us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. Otherwise, thank you, Claire, again for joining. You're welcome. Um as usual, I'm, I'm hoping we're going to have Lee back in a fortnight's time. Uh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. It's one that I, I've been taught, a film that I adore and have kind of talked up to her a little bit. And so it's one that I think that she's going to really enjoy. It is Jean-Pierre Melville's Le Samurai. Ooh. Yes. Sang Alain Delon, that dreamboat. <laughs> um, 
but otherwise we're still trucking along over on the Patreon. Uh, if you if you're missing out on Lee, you can always uh, get your fill of her over there, where we do our monthly commentary tracks as well as uh, there's some really fun discussion and things happening on uh, for each episode over on those uh, posts and those boards over there. Um, but at the time of this episode, I believe uh, we've had our Titanic, Titanic commentary yeah. out where Lee and I sat down for three and a quarter hours and talked about Titanic. I popped in and out a little bit. Hmm. It was a long one. And we're getting ready to, uh, we will have on the 1st of July, we're going to be doing our commentary for Stephen Summers' 1999 film, The Mummy. Uh, our theme for this, these commentary tracks is our guilty pleasure films. <laughs> so uh, head on over to Patreon. Um, you know, any support to the show would be really appreciated. Uh, as always, I'll put all that junk in the uh, episode description as well as my Twitter and Letterboxd and the Instagram, all that jazz. But again, Claire, thank you very much for jumping on. Thanks. Sorry I hadn't watched any interesting movies lately. No, that's all right. Uh, And again, thank you all for listening. Uh, Like I said, we'll be back in a fortnight's time with Jean-Pierre Melville's Le Samurai. But for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Claire. We'll see you next time.